Hi, welcome to the Mama Advocate Podcast. This is a safe place for adoptive and special needs mamas to feel less alone and find community amidst their unconventional journeys. Here, you're going to find authentic conversations for me and my guest who are parenting fully in the weeds with you. Our goal is to empower and encourage you to be the best mama you can be as you advocate for your people. Guys, I am so honored and excited to have Beth here with us today on the Mama Advocate Podcast. She is an expert in all things IEP, and I know that we've had a few IEP things on here so far, but every time I'm kind of amazed that I learn more and I realize how much I really don't know and how else I can support my kids. And so I feel like this can't be kind of driven home enough. And I know with school starting fairly soon for most of us, or for a lot of us, we need a refresher. So Beth, welcome. Tell us about yourself. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So my name is Beth Liesenfeld. I am the owner and founder of the IEP Lab and the host of the Parent IEP Lab podcast. And I'm an occupational therapist by training. So what happened was I was an adaptive horseback riding instructor first before I found OT and very, very parent-driven, right? Parents are bringing their kids to have their horseback riding lessons. And then when I found OT, I worked in early intervention and I worked in outpatient therapy, kind of saw the system from multiple different ways of serving um, parents and their kids. And I always knew that I was going to get in schools. So I transitioned into schools and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so not parent-friendly. I was confused and I was the one implementing the IEP and all of the acronyms and all of the language that is very confusing to parents. I was there because I'm a medical person. Occupational therapists are medical. And so we didn't really have any instruction about IEPs. And so after that first year, I was like, okay, like something needs to be out there to help parents. And I kind of looked for anybody kind of breaking down all of this information and kind of talking about parents. And I didn't really find what I was looking for. Um, and so, you know, kind of moving forward through the years and having 80 meetings a year, I started to see patterns of parents who really got a really cool, really effective IEP plan for their kids and what they were doing to get there. Um, so that's why I started, uh, the podcast and I focus on helping parents kind of decrease their IEP meeting stress and getting ready for their next IEP so they can share their parent input and feel like they are a full member of that IEP team. I love that. I think that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that I am part of the team. Yes. For so long, it felt so like they know what's going on and I have no idea and I'm the outsider, but truly yeah, it's not how it should be. Right. It's, it's so true. Yeah. And I feel like COVID didn't help any either because then you couldn't actually get into the classroom, but um Yeah, it was really interesting, you know, being an OT, I was in multiple different buildings. I followed kids from preschool to elementary, sometimes elementary to middle school. And so seeing the same kids, same parents through those different settings, it is different. And so, yeah, like not having context for what it looks like on the inside is hard. And that's why having a relationship with your team is so important. I know so many people have struggle with advocacy because they have really hard teams to work with. Um, but if we can get there at all to be collaborative, it's so helpful because then you get an insider's look at what's actually happening inside of that school setting. What would you say is a good way to start building that teamwork with them to like oh. have a good relationship? Such a good question. I think that for so many 
teachers, and especially right now, we're hearing a lot about teachers being very burnt out. Teachers and people who work in schools in general are people, people, right? They're there because they really like to interact with people. And so many times there's this political nature to schools. There's always a lot of drama that is going on in schools between staff members and kids and all kinds of things. My mom was a high school teacher. And I just remember her coming home and saying, did you hear your friend got in trouble for this? She knew all of the drama going <laughs> on inside schools. And I was like, I don't care. Um, so I think to be able to start that relationship off, especially if you're having like a new team or something like that, if you can start off the year with sending an email to your case manager, or your team, you should be able to find their emails if you don't have them yet or ask for, excuse me, ask for them um, and share something about your summer. If you can attach a picture of your kid doing something they love to do, that's even better. And I will tell you what, out of the 80 meetings or even more than that, that I had per year, I can count on one hand who emailed me with something really cool that their family did or their kid did. And that just brings the human back in and it brings that people person back out. They want connection with their families. They want connection with the kids and seeing them, I don't know, boating over the course of the summer or some vacation that you took or, you know, grandma and grandpa, something personal that you can share like that from over the summer is just an amazing way to start off the summer with like, we're so excited to meet you or we're so excited to be back. And this is how our summer went. How did yours go too? So yeah, just bringing the human back in. I really like that idea. Yeah. I've never done that before. I think this is the year I'm going to do it. <laughs> I like it. Um, okay. Before you were saying you saw these parents and they were doing, they were, they were like getting the IEP results that they wanted. Mm-hmm. So they were doing this thing. What is that thing? What is, what are we missing if we can't seem to figure out the good IEP for our kids? Yeah. So there was a couple of themes, like you said, the first one was definitely a relationship with some team member, right? For people who have really big IEP teams, you don't have to be friends with everybody on the IEP team. That's not what I'm saying. You don't have to bring treats to the IEP meeting. You can if you want to, but you do not have to. And I saw parents do this without doing any of this extra stuff. Um, but having a relationship where you can be honest with at least one person on the IEP team is really important. Uh, for example, of course, I served under really hard case managers. Um, I would say the hard personalities were uh, the personalities that thought that they knew everything and they knew what to do with the child and they weren't really listening to the parent, you know? Um, but several times I was the person who had a really good relationship with that parent. And I could be an ally when we came to that meeting and say, well, I don't think the parent meant it that way. Like, can we apply it this way? You know, some person that understands you, you know, is listening to you. Um, and so sometimes you just have one person on that school IEP team, and that might be a special education teacher or a speech therapist, but sometimes you have multiple options. So just know it doesn't have to be like the lead person on your team that you have to understand and have a good relationship with. It's just somebody. Um, and then the other thing was the parents who did really well didn't know everything about the IEP system, because let's be honest, there's no way to know everything, but they knew enough about the IEP system that they could ask really good questions questions, right? So an example would be, um, there was a, a preschool 
mom of a preschooler who was transitioning into kindergarten. And first of all, during that IEP meeting, she had a good relationship with us and she was very nice about it, but she was like, can you stop and explain that to me? Or, Hey, can we back up? Like, what does this look like? Or what does the day look like? And so she wasn't afraid to stop us and ask questions, which is really good. And that takes a certain level of confidence, right? But also, um, you know, just being able to ask questions. Okay. So what if she needs new support or an additional support, or you're saying she's not going to get this support? What happens if she still has this issue in class? And so again, you don't have to know everything that's available. You don't have to know every legal um, document that's out there in your parent rights. You just have to know enough to be like, okay, can I ask you this question? Cause I might not know, but then that question that you ask has some sort of context around it. So whether you get that from other parents that you're friends with, or, you know, you listen to a podcast like mine and get some context, like just so you know enough about what's out there so that you can ask really good questions. That was another thing that was just amazing and helped parents a lot is being able to ask those questions. What encouragement would you give to moms that kind of feel like they lack that encouragement, that encouragement, they lack that confidence. So sorry. That's okay. Um, actually, a lot of them end up coming through my courses because they want to keep the peace and they know that teachers are doing their best and they don't want to inconvenience the team, but yet they're trying to speak up for their kids. And I think trying to make everybody happy is just sometimes not possible, right? Um, the one tool that I talk about doing all the time is writing a vision statement for your child. And this is what you want your child to, what What do you want their school to look like, right? For some people, that's like 100% inclusion and I want them with their peers all the time. That's amazing. For other parents, it's not, right? It's, oh, I want them to be able to learn and feel comfortable and have people around them that really enjoy them and see their strengths. That's great. Um, and then some people still is like, okay, they have a learning disability. I just want them to not hate math. And I want them to be able to have recess with their friends, you know, like those kinds of things. But I think it's really easy to forget that every, even though we're exposed to other parents' opinions about things, focus on your child and what you want it to look like for them. And then start with your vision statement, because I think a lot of parents can draw a lot of power from that vision statement of saying, okay, well, when I go to the IEP team, I know that I'm advocating for this specific thing for a reason. I've thought through what I want their education to look like because this is what I think they need, right? And so then you can feel centered to be like, okay, if you go to the IEP table and they're like, no, we don't do that here. <laughs> or no, that's not exactly right. You can say, well, we have this vision statement for a reason, is there any other way that you can think that we can be creative to get them this particular support or to make this a little bit more accessible for them? And then you're advocating from a place of, I know that we can do this. We're going to problem solve how to get my kid this support so that we can get them to this vision statement. So I think having that a little bit of forethought, and it's like two sentences, this isn't like a huge plan, but having that forethought of saying, okay, this is why I'm advocating. And this is the support that they need based on this information that I have. How can we figure it out? It's less like a controversy. It feels less like a, um, 
I'm being rude to you (laughs) to get what I need or winning. And it's more like, how can I get this for my kid because they need it? So helpful. It is helpful. I'm curious if parents have ever come in and said like, Hey, basically like, just to be clear, we're all on the same team here. I'm going to have some questions along the way. If you guys could show me some grace, is is there anybody just who's come out and said that? And how does that kind of affect the meeting? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The more that you can just kind of be upfront and be like, as I'm really confused or I'm really stressed, or I think that helps everybody. I think that helps parents for sure to just have it out loud. Like, okay, I'm going to have a lot of questions today. I'm organized. I mean, I see people come in with a long list of questions that they have. I see people email the team beforehand with all of those questions. Any one of that is great. And again, I think your suggestion of of saying that and kind of laying that all out there again is to bring the human back in. You're not just another, the 79th meeting that they had this year, right? You're saying, okay, I'm new to this or, Hey, I'm new to this middle school. Or you're like, man, I'm really trying to learn this stuff so that I can advocate for my kid. Then they're like, oh my gosh, yes, you're a person. You're a parent. Oh my gosh. Yes. You're just trying to advocate for your kid. And and it brings the human back into that relationship. So I love that, that suggestion. Yes. Okay. We're having a new set of, <laughs> we're about to switch everything up. So we'll have our, our current elementary school with all the, with the team I adore so much. Yeah. They're all leaving, which is real sad. So I'm still having, have one kid in that school that will need an IP. And then I have a daughter who's been switched over to a, um, it's not called a secluded class. What is it called? Like an alternative? Oh my gosh. They have different names for them mm-hmm. all the time. Most of the time in districts, they call them like particular programs. I don't know. Okay. Well, she's going to the RISE program. And so okay. it's one-on-one centered behavior, yeah. all of those things. So she's going to yes. be at the school and then have middle schoolers going to another school. And so I feel like I have several new people that I get to come alongside with. I've had this wonderful relationship with our team thus far and Mm -hmm. like that relationship. I'm like, I love these women and now they're all gone. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm like, these are good tips because I'm like, I'm starting all over again. We're starting with new, fresh people, you know? And that's a lot to coordinate when you have multiple teams at the same time. Yes. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. (laughs) It's a lot of people. But the good thing is, and you know, some people, I had somebody respond to my email a couple of weeks ago and they're like, I've had a great experience with my team. I don't know what you're talking about, like with some struggles, you know, with communication or whatever we were talking about. And I was like, that is amazing that you've had a good experience. Take advantage of it. Your IEP probably looks amazing, you know, and let people actually understand your kid and know their strengths. And those are in there. And just know that things could change at any moment, right? Yes. So take advantage of it when it's good. And don't assume that it's going to be bad if there's change. But the cool thing is that the IEP probably is really good. It probably has a lot of strengths and it probably has really good present levels in it. And people wrote it who really loved your kid. And so that's a really good basis to have, right? To jump into a new team with. So that's not all bad. Yes. That is true. Cause that follows them everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Which is great. Hey, let's take a quick break. Mama, I know that you are doing a great job, but maybe there's something you've been neglecting like yourself or your marriage. 
the rest of your family or the systems in your home. Or maybe you're just ready for a change, but you don't know where to start. That's where we come in. Mama Systems can help you put systems in place so that your family is more organized, more peaceful, and more balanced. And so that you feel like you can get everything done that you need to get done during the day. We'll help make sure that you have a plan to advocate for your child in school and in the community, that you take care of yourself, your marriage, and the rest of your family, and that you have systems in place to help build teamwork mentality in your home and make daily life more manageable. All of this is doable and you deserve it, Mama. Check out mamasystems.net today. All right, back to our show. Okay, a minute ago when you were talking about vision statements, I heard what you were saying is like a vision statement for each year. Is that the case or does it stay on the IEP? Because I've heard it talked about where we have a vision statement, like basically my husband and I think of a vision statement for that child. Mm-hmm. And that kind of being the long-term, mm-hmm. what I see their capabilities of being, what I think they'd be good at. So like our son, Andrew, I'm like, he would probably be, maybe a welder would not be a good choice, but something like physical yeah. work would be really good for him. And so then kind of thinking down of what would be good to build up those skills and those things, right? And then kind of working your way down. Mm-hmm. Would you suggest having a vision statement per year and like a big yes. mamma jamma one that can kind of ebb and flow along the way? Absolutely. Yes. So yeah. I do have an episode that talks about vision statements and it's writing both. So you start with a big picture and it's really hard when they're like preschool age. You're like, really? I'm going to write a vision statement for when school ends for them. That's really hard. But here's the thing. When I serve the 18 to 21 program, you you don't want to be this parent. Several times we were sitting down to have their last IEP. They were aging out of the system. They were done. And you looked at the parent and they had this panic because they had never thought about when school services were going to end, right? So you're just prepping yourself. You're taking that anxiety that you would feel if you put it off for that long and you're breaking it down into tiny little pieces. And yes, you're saying like something physical. That's okay to be vague when they're really, really young. Um, But the cool thing is that even in middle school, it's really advantageous to talk about when they're done with school. And I'll give you an example of this. One of my most favorite parents that I worked with, and probably because I had her in outpatient therapy first, so I knew them. And then I didn't have her in elementary school, but I did have them starting in middle school. And what happened is we have... Um, In Northern Colorado, where I'm based, although I work with parents everywhere, but in Northern Colorado, we have a college that has a specific program for kids with intellectual disability that they can go to and learn job skills after they graduate or after they do the 18 to 21 program, doesn't matter. And so this parent knew that she wanted her kid to go to that program. And the helpful thing was this program had a checklist of skills that they had to do before they graduated. Okay. Yeah. So the thing was, she was like, oh my gosh, my kid is great at reading, decoding, does not understand a single thing of what she reads though. So she'd read out loud and you're like, oh my gosh, she's a great reader. And then you ask her a question about it. And she's like, I have no idea, no idea. So mom comes to the table and says, Hey, really want her to go to this program, but we're kind of stuck. We need to have some comprehension going on. How are you guys addressing comprehension? And the school was like, oh, but, duh, duh. I don't, uh, but, uh, I don't know, you know? And so what happened was 
they were able to order a new program in that specifically looked at comprehension because they weren't addressing it and be able to build her skills up. So now in middle school, we're working on comprehension, which can take a while and is very complicated so that she can get into that program at the end. So even if you're like, oh my gosh, they're in preschool, how can I think about that? A vague idea is great. And then yes, breaking that down into chunks so that you can communicate with that team and say, hey, you know, they really have the strength of doing this and I can see them doing this one day. You know, we need to make sure that they have exposure to this and this in the classroom um, so that they can learn their accommodations or their support or whatever skills you think are appropriate for them at that time. So yeah, I would recommend having two, starting with the big picture and then trying to break it down with what you want them to be able to learn in the next year. Can I ask what the name of the program is you're talking about in Colorado? Yeah, it's called Goal. G-O-A-L. And it's really funny because since I mentioned that, several people have said that their states have it and it's through the University of Northern Colorado. Amazing. UNC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know that our, we went to school at Texas A&M, which is, you know, kind of the best university in the whole world, really. Yeah. Naturally. So they have a program called Aggie Achieve. And I'm like, I'm signing my kids up for that the moment they get out because mm-hmm. my goodness, how amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not looking for a checklist or anything. That's so smart. Yes, there is a checklist for that. And I remember having difficulty finding it at first, but we dug and we found it or you can email them, right. And see if there's requirements. And I would just do that. So can I ask how the, the IEP process switches ish from, okay, we're trying to cram all the intellectual things into like more life skills. Yeah. In middle school that that happens. Well, it's age 14. Okay. So when, whenever that happens, right? Um, and so, yes, there's a certain, and you might even see it on your IEPs now. They just don't fill it out. It depends on what program they use to fill out your IEP. They have all different software programs. Um, but there's a transition section in that IEP that gets added in when they're 14. And this is, okay, what are their post-secondary interests? What are their goals to get there? I do find that some teams are better at taking that more seriously than others. Some of them will be like, oh yes, okay, we need to focus on these functional skills, blah, blah, blah. But the thing is that some teams, even if they're not focusing on it, that's when your vision statement comes into play, right? And you're like, we really need to focus on functional skills. (laughs) I remember one of my parents that I did actually follow from middle school to high school. We got to high school. He turned 14. We had that transition section in there. And I remember the parents, they were so funny. They're like, oh my gosh, thank goodness. We've been wanting to wait, work on functional goals and (laughs) post-secondary goals for like three years. Cause we know that he's not going to college or anything. They're like, we don't care about that stuff. We just need him to be, you know, functional and learn all these things. And I just remember he was like, oh, finally, we're finally working on them. So depending on your kid, it can, it can feel a little bit too late. Um, But you you can can advocate for those things earlier on. Yes. Yes, you can. Yeah. And it depends, you know, if they're in um, more self-contained classrooms, sometimes they'll do more of those functional things as well. So yes, you can advocate for those things. Vision statement is a great way to communicate that where like, yes, we want to do functional skills because some parents do not want the school to do any functional skills. They're like, we've got it. We've got teaching them laundry. We've got teaching them finances, whatever we want them to be included. Like 
so that's what the school team is dealing with, right? It's like, we don't know until you tell us what you want, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting to me because I'm with the mindset. I'm like, well, I'm going to work on it with them here, but then also I want you to work on it with them there because we need it to be able to switch from not yes. just group health, but in a different situation of yes. the kids are living in this group home. And what does that look like? And uh-huh. yeah, um, I'm, I'm curious. I know that a lot of, so just some facts is that 70% of kids who are in the foster care program or adopting out of the foster care program have some form of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Mm-hmm. A lot of adoptive parents don't recognize that that is what's going on with their child, mm-hmm. but they may see things like ADHD and math mm-hmm. forgetfulness and all of those things. Right. Um, and so in talking with some of those parents who still aren't sure that that's what's going on. Yeah. They see the need for extra help, but because their child is doing okay grade-wise, yeah, not getting the response back from the school that they really wish that they were getting. Is there something that um I don't know. What what is what are your thoughts about that? Maybe I should Yes. Say. Yes. So first of all, I love that you brought up that example. My uh my husband actually is the oldest of seven, and they adopted four kids from Russia three of them biological and those three having fetal alcohol impacts. Now they were all, yeah, they were all homeschooled. So that's really interesting, but now they're, oh lover. Gosh, now they're adults. And I'm trying to think, oh my gosh, Seth was like 12 when I started dating Zach eight, 16 years ago. And now he's almost 30. So it's been really interesting to see them have those functional skills growing up. The things that are skills that are holding them back, I guess. Um, and their progression over, you know, the last 15 years has been really interesting. Um, but yeah, very familiar with that situation. The, the difference between getting like an IEP or like a 504 or an, a little extra help. That's not an official plan is something called specialized instruction. And this is, do they need somebody to sit down and to design a specific plan for them and teach them on an individual level? Or can we just give them a couple tools, show them how to use it, and they're okay? And that's the difference between an IEP and 504, if we're being like really simplistic about it, right? So that specialized instruction is changes to the curriculum. Yeah. And the 504 would be like, hey, let's give them some tools. And yes. Okay. Okay. Just yes. Yeah. So yes. So let's explain that. So there, there can be things that schools have just innately in their particular district or school that are helpful, but not a legally defensible position, not a legally defensible plan. And those are things like, well, a read plan is a little bit legal, but sometimes they can get intervention, quote unquote, intervention by like a reading specialist. And that's not necessarily on like a legal plan. 504 is a level kind of above that as far as legal perspective goes. And so 504s provide accommodations, which are changes to the environment or changes to the way things are presented to allow accessibility. So um, a really clear cut example is if somebody has spina bifida and they get really tired during gym, maybe can't access some things on the playground, but academically they might be okay. 
right? So they might have a 504 for those physical things. You also might have a 504 for something like um, fatigue for some reason, if they have fibromyalgia or something like that. So accommodations, they don't necessarily need to learn something different. They just might need extra rest breaks or a small group environment, or maybe a quiet place to test away from the anxiety of being in big group, things like that. And then the IEP is like, okay, we need some significant changes or significant teaching to specifically have a plan designed just for them that includes not only accommodations, because that's part of it, but also we need to make some goals and we need to have services involved too, so that they're getting support so that we can monitor, are they making progress or are they not? Do we need to change the plan? What's happening? Um, so that IEP is kind of the highest level of support because it's truly individualized. Um, and you'll see teams kind of vacillate back and forth and sometimes even saying it's kind of a judgment call sometimes on if they need specialized instruction or not, especially for that like ADHD like piece. You're like, well, do they need teaching? Well, if they're not able to self-advocate and you can't just say, hey, you need to ask for help when you need it and they're not asking and they're not asking, they probably don't have the skill to do that. They might need actual teaching to be able to do that. So hopefully that helps a little bit um, in that you can't just hand them a computer and type instead of write. They need to be taught how to use that tool, right? Or they need help in specializing um, and learning about that skill. Yeah, it is helpful. Um, Okay. Two more questions. Okay. See, every time I talk about this, I'm like, wait, what about this? Because I, <laughs> there's just so many aspects of this yeah. I want to unpack for everyone. Um, one of the things that I learned this year that I did not know before was the the hearing impaired aspect of getting an IEP. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious if the auditory processing falls under the hearing impairment. And if it does, because I know that's something that a lot of our ADD FASD kids have. Yeah. And autism and all the, all, all the things, a lot yeah. of kids have it, right. Um, and auditory processing disorders where your kid's hearing is fine, but things aren't, I'm not telling you this, by the way, <laughs> uh, your kid's hearing is fine. Like they would pass a hearing test at school, but you might say something to them and they're like, what? Or it takes them a few minutes to respond because their brain is like having a hard time processing the words mm-hmm. or they don't process them correctly. Like they get all jumbled up in their brain. It's very scientific how I just explained it. <laughs> all this to say, I'm real curious about um, the little devices. I know that I've gotten this for my kids in the past that the teacher can wear and. Yeah, an FM does, system. Yes. Does that diagnosis of auditory processing qualify somebody under the hearing impairment and I know that our school will actually supply it for the kids while they're uh-huh. at school. Tell me about that. What do you know about that? <laughs> this is really controversial. Like oh, really? you hit on a big, like big, big discussion within audiology in general. And I actually had an audiologist on my podcast and I asked her this and she's like, well, you can ask me that, but I'm going to give you kind of a PC answer, but I did get the full answer. So what she said, I don't want a PC answer, by the way, (laughs) no, I'm going to be, I'm going to be pretty real with you. Okay, good. So what she said is that auditory processing disorder is controversial because there are some audiologists that specialize in 
testing and saying, yes, this is actual, the diagnosis. Yes, we're sure it's this go. Most audiologists do not have the additional layers of, of education to say that with certainty. And she said, when audiologists are part of like a school or not a school team, but like a children's hospital team, like a very big team of people, of specialists that, you know, you can bring your kid there and they get everything, all the testing, right? They said that most of the time they find something else that trumps that auditory processing disorder diagnosis. So they will find like a language delay or they'll find a cognitive processing issue that's not exactly auditory processing, but it kind of explains the symptoms of auditory processing. So they go with that diagnosis over the auditory processing disorder. So all that in a nutshell, they probably are doing more research on it now to like actually have it be a thing. We know it's all a thing, right? We've seen it. We know it's a thing. It's kind of like sensory processing disorder that's still not in the DSM as an official diagnosis, although doctors are giving it now. So we know that that's a thing too. But all that to say, if you look at the requirements for somebody qualifying as having a hearing disability, it's not most of the time on the checklist that auditory processing qualifies as that hearing impairment label. Now you can get an FM system, which is like, oh, it's so cool, right? It's like this little microphone that the teacher wears or whoever is with them. So like when I go into classrooms, they like hand off the microphone to me, right? Whoever's with that kid. And so it just brings, drowns out the background noise a little bit, brings their attention to what they're supposed to be listening to, right? Because the kid is wearing like a hearing aid that Mm -hmm. can use a microphone just to completely Mm -hmm. throw that extra there. It pairs with it. It's so awesome. Yeah. So, um, so a lot of times districts will supply those, even if they're not under the hearing impaired label, you might get them to provide those, but we're talking about like thousands of dollars. So it also, just to be real with you, it also depends on the size of your district. If you have a little rural district and you're like, he needs an FM system, it's going to be a lot more advocacy work for you as the parent to get them to provide it because it's thousands of dollars and they just don't have that budget. Whereas if you go to a bigger district and you say they need an FM system, they probably have 10 in the closet that they've had to buy for somebody else in the last couple of years. And so they're just going to pull one out and be like, oh yeah, we have one. Like, let's provide it. Let's see if it helps, you know, that kind of thing. So unfortunately things aren't even across all of the districts, as we already know. So it can be something like that. But yeah, auditory processing disorder is a, is a hot button topic for a lot of people. I'm so sorry that I stumbled upon that. That's okay. Our, our insurance, um, and I admit that we have amazing insurance and so Good. I'm grateful for that, but has covered the FM systems for us. So that's also a, a thing to look into, right? Or beautiful. Yes. Medicaid. Yes. I am continually surprised at like what Medicaid covers that our private insurance does not cover. So Mm -hmm. explore all the options there. Yes. Um, My last question for you. I'm real curious about your brothers in law Mm -hmm. who have FASD. Are there things that like just looking at their life now 
that you're like, oh, that would be helpful. I realized that they were homeschooled. It's kind of a different. Yeah. Which bless that woman. <laughs> I mean, she, I just, oh, she's wow. so, she's so cool. And this is way with her, even just hearing that she can. Oh yeah. Whole day with she, she has a blog. I will send it to you, but it's on, uh, she used to, they live in Wyoming and like high desert Wyoming. And she grew enough vegetables for their family of nine in Wyoming, which has a really short growing season. So she's just a cool woman in general. She's just, she's an amazing person. Um, but yeah, looking at skills that they, this is also the hard thing is they grew up in a very, very small town and from, from a very young age, they always were working. They were helping people move their irrigation pipe. They were bailing hay. They were, they were doing things. And I think that is looking forward that has very much helped them have those work skills that they needed. Um, they all are working. Um, they, you know, have, have varying levels of skilled jobs and things like that. But I think, um, the biggest hole that I see that they didn't get probably because they didn't have any services at all was some of the language piece of there's one particular um, brother-in-law that I have that, you know, mixes up the tenses of things still and that language component of putting language together. And that's really held him back as far as, you know, socially a little bit too. And also just like the understanding of when a boss is telling you something Oh, do I actually understand what they're saying? Can I ask those follow-up questions? So that's been a little bit of struggle for one of them. Um, but I think that advantage of just having them be hands-on and working and figuring out what they like to do, they've all found very different careers from each other and they found their strengths in, in different ways. And so that's been really cool. So encourage volunteering, encourage hands-on work. Um, and just figure out what the strengths are. I love that. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Well, can you tell everybody, I know that you mentioned courses a little while ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell us kind of about your program and what, like how you help parents through the IEP process. Absolutely. Yes. So, so what I focus on is there's so much anxiety coming up to that IEP meeting. And I try to help people really focus their intentions, narrow down your priorities. And we do that through the ultimate parent IEP prep course. And that's my signature course. It's actually coming open again in, in middle of August. Um, and what we do there is we take you through knowing the system a little bit. And then we also take you through, okay, these are all of the challenges that I think my kid has in school. How do I break that down and just focus on two things for the next year that are going to make the biggest impact? Mm -hmm and focus my efforts on that and just let everything else go <laughs> and then get connected to resources afterwards. So, um, that's, that's my main offering there. Um, and so if anybody has an IEP meeting coming up this year, if you have an IEP already, um, coming up to the review process, I do have a freebie that is the 10 steps, um, that lead up to your annual review meeting including when to share that vision statement in the process. So many people kind of share it too late. And then you get a team that 
doesn't understand what the vision statement was really for. So um, you can download that at the ieplab.com slash IEP. And that's the IEP process step-by-step guide. So that'll get everybody started and kind of clicking around and seeing what you need and if I can support you. I love that. Beth, thank you so much for coming on today and for sharing all of your wisdom with us. I'm very grateful. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, I'm so glad that you joined us today. If this episode blessed you at all, would you mind leaving a review or sharing with others? This, as you know, will help other mamas find us and in turn will bless them. Hey, thanks so much for trusting us with your time today.